It's Monday, February 11th, 2019. I'm Jeremiah Simmerman, and this is episode 195 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? Thank you for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that musician is an absolute lifer in the world of uh, underground, daring music. Her name is Marsha Bassett. Let's have a listen. Evocative soundscapes coming from Marsha Bassett. And uh, today's a good one. Today on the show, Marsha Bassett. Hey, uh, it seems like some of you enjoyed last week's show with Weasel Walter. Uh, It was nice to hear from you. And uh, yeah, I'm happy with how that one turned out. And I'm glad you guys seem to dig it. Uh, Maybe maybe, uh, send me suggestions. Who do you guys want to have on the show? Who do you want to hear from? Uh, you know, just so you know, there are plenty of people over the last several years that I've reached out to and some have declined, uh, many, I just never hear back from. Uh, so I, I, I've made efforts, you know, to have a lot of people that haven't yet been on here and I will continue to, um, but if there's someone who who you feel like I've overlooked, send me an email, 5049records at gmail.com. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do my best to get these people on. I also want to say thanks to people that have been uh, signing up for the Patreon. I know I'm starting every show with it, but um, if you're enjoying this show, just know that this is a listener-supported show. I'm the only person uh, uh, working it. So every aspect of the show, the the website updates, the recording, the, the scheduling, the editing and Pro Tools, like the whole schmear, it's me, no one else. Um, so it's, it's a lot, it's a big undertaking and you know, this is an auxiliary thing I do. I'm, I'm quite busy with other things as, as well. So if you're digging the show and, uh, you want to, you want to show that support, go to patreon.com slash 5049 podcast, become a monthly donor. And my way of saying thanks is, uh, you will have instant and continual access to the entire archive of episodes. The most recent 100 episodes are always available for free in iTunes. Uh, The 100 or so episodes that came before it exist only in the archive. And if you want to access those, become a Patreon donor. All right, Marsha Bassett. I've known the name Marsha Bassett for many years, uh, but I was never really familiar with, with, with her stuff. I'd never met her. She's been in it a long time. Uh, she's been, she's been continually putting out great work. It's just, you know, there's certain blind spots. We all have blind spots. I've certainly got mine and sort of the underground electronic noise scene is certainly, um, a little foggy for me. I knew that Marsha was, was, was well known and respected. Um, and then I, someone, I, I don't know how I found my way to it. Maybe Facebook or something. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, the wire, the, the British magazine on their website, uh, put up a playlist selected by Marsha of, of all her stuff from the past several years. And uh, it's it's tremendous. It's really, really a broad range of stuff. 
Um, Marsha's originally from Jersey, the Jersey Shore. Uh, she's lived in the Bay. She's lived in, in Brooklyn. Um, she's lived all over and has a really, really rich and interesting history. Um, actually, my friend Natasha mentioned Marsha to me a while ago and was like, yo, Marsha's great. You got to have Marsha on. And uh, whenever Natasha recommends something, I, I take it very seriously. She's, she's, a, she's a deep listener. Marsha's been involved in a lot of projects over the years. Her, her solo project, uh, which is ongoing, is called Zeimf. It's sort of a mystical, mysterious uh, performance mechanism. There's, there's a lot of visual components, and, and uh, it's pretty otherworldly stuff. She had a band for many years called Un, who put out some records on Silt Breeze. Classic shit. And uh, Marsha, as you'll hear today, is just really cool. She's a cool, fun person. Uh, she has a duo with Samara Lubelski, who some of you guys might remember. She was on the show uh, this past summer. Um, it's funny. When we were doing this conversation, uh, she was leaving my place to go meet Samara for, for some Chinese food. Uh, but Marsha, you know, this was the first time we ever talked, and really enjoyable conversation. Uh, I, I really enjoyed getting to know her, and, and I look forward to checking out uh, more of her music. If you want to find out more about Marsha, go to the website for her project, Zaimf. That's Z-A-I-M-P-H dot org. She's got a new uh, double record out called Rhizomatic Gaze. That's on uh, Drawing Room Records. Check it out. Good shit. And that's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. Here's my conversation with Marsha Bassett. library science um now there are degrees at that time you could be certified as an archivist so a lot of times people would um am i supposed to be talking into this now we're not on oh we're going yeah where we are okay um (laughs) it's easier that way (laughs) okay uh, you don't need to like check your levels with the earphones or headphones. I've done or so many of these things. Oh, okay. <laughs> like I could literally just like without even looking at how my left hand control things. While yeah. I... <laughs> um, yeah. So I uh, yeah I went to graduate school for library science. And, when, um, with the idea of well, I of working in a library, being more of a librarian, sure. and why I was there, I. Um, discovered archives and archiving and um actually went i was uh at drexel university in philadelphia okay. and then <clears throat> they have um archival classes that are offered through the ma program at temple so i ended up um doing taking those classes it was i was working at the philadelphia museum at the time and mm-hmm. i was working in the library uh why i was working on my degree and uh they reopened the archives why i was there so that just a massive archive or something specific it was the what was the it was the art it was the art museum's okay. archive so a lot of 
archives had closed because of like budget cuts, that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of archives started reopening in the 90s. Um, and also I feel like the field of archiving became more um, relevant and people, and a lot of times people said like, what's an archivist? <laughs> Well, what does an archivist do? <laughs> I, just, you know, I, I think like if I could go back in time and like set up like a more conventional educational trajectory for myself, mm -hmm. like that would be something that I would be like deeply interested in. I just didn't yeah. know that there was. I mean, library library sciences makes sense as a pathway to that. Yeah, um, and I do wonder, like, well, NYU has a program. Pratt has a program yeah. now. Um, there, yeah, it's. I think more widely offered and um and people are aware especially with like digital archiving well, that's, that's like a whole new, that's like a whole new right? yeah exactly yeah is yeah. it it seems like less sensual to me uh yeah it for me i really enjoy working with materials mm -hmm. actual um physical objects mm -hmm. and um but yeah th some people enjoy being on the computer a lot i just you know my, my stepdad who raised me he's you know, he died many many years ago but he was uh an author and like notable as a researcher you know mm -hmm. he, he which is like not something i think people know about anymore but like his research was was really intense and people would contact him all the time from various subsets of of science and and, and literature to access his research and i was down visiting my mom just like a week ago and just going into like his workspace where all the stuff still is just picking up something and touching it yeah i immediately sort of like felt closer to his work and yeah. I, I don't think you get that with a pdf yeah um i guess you can with a collection a lot of what i focused on um when i first started archiving was working with collections so working with someone's collection and yeah. so i really got to know that person because you saw their body of work and how they um all their you know letters and what they so it's all process it. yeah sketchbooks and yeah I, yeah I mean it really depends on what you're archiving but yeah usually yeah. it's a, a body a collection of materials yeah that someone's um built up over there do you um does like the the same creative like impulse that gets you know uh triggered and and satisfied with with music and sound is, is there any relation to the cure or the archival <laughs> oh, like with, with, with the archive work that, that is there is there much crossover uh sure i yeah there's a crossover in that there's a sense of discovery there's a sense of um finding out about someone or something or some entity that you maybe didn't know about through, yeah uh going deeper into it yeah but has it influenced the way you like I, I use this example all the time um you know i had like a four track recorder when mm -hmm. I, I got it when i was 13 and immediately started just making shit every day on it and i still like one of my great regrets in life is that if i ran out of tape i would just record over the tapes oh, yeah. that i had yeah uh you know mislabeled yeah. tapes like unlabeled tapes and yeah. if, I, if i could do it, go back in time i would give myself just like a huge box of like yeah. cassettes to and that was really the culture, though. I, you know, I recorded over a lot of days myself. <laughs> but isn't the archivist in you sort of like, like, oh, I should have cataloged that? And... Um, yeah, I mean, similar to you, I think. Well, it would have been cool if I had been a better personal archivist. <laughs> Wait, so, did you start on a four track? 
um, recording material. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, started recording stuff. I would say not on a four track, but just on a regular old Boom. cassette player. Side A, side yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're from Philadelphia, or yeah, yeah. Well, I grew up in New Jersey, and, where um, South Jersey. Where? Um, it it's a town called Linwood, New Jersey. It's south of Atlantic City. Okay, it's along the shore. The shore. Yeah. 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 Um. So yeah, very small. But town. so so growing up in Linwood, would Philadelphia be the city that you guys look to? Philadelphia was the closest city. Yeah. New York. Um. I also went to New York as well. Mm -hmm. Um. And DC. Yeah. So I mean, it's nice because in the tri-state area, there's a lot so of much. options. Yeah. I feel um, like culturally, but yeah, Jersey. Philadelphia is from where I grew up is about forty minutes, forty-five minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what was the first instrument that you started playing? Um, well, I actually, uh, I was in band and played clarinet. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know if that's influenced my current. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's such a stupid instrument. Uh, I mean, I actually have a, I've, I've repurchased a clarinet really? and started playing it again. Um, yeah, just, you know. I don't know for the hell. I don't know that that, I mean, you know, that's the instrument that I play. And I just, I feel more and more like I look at it and I'm like, this thing doesn't. Have you checked out this Marie Kondo show? No. Have you ever heard about this? No. Well, then. No. Yeah. She's this, whatever. Anyway, the, yeah, the clarinet doesn't spark a lot of, uh, for me anyway, these days. I just look at it. I'm like, what a dumb instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you play clarinet as well? I play clarinet. That's, yeah. that's my main instrument. But do yeah. you, so you repurchased a clarinet for the sake of contributing something to your like your sound world or just sort of like yeah i mean i make a lot of um sounds that like i later process so mm -hmm. um i was you know using some wind instruments and i thought you know i should maybe get the clarinet again <laughs> and see what comes out i <laughs> i wouldn't say i was an extremely accomplished clarinet player but <laughs> i don't think even the best clarinet I, it's such a stupid instrument and i it's I I would bet that it's the instrument more than any other instrument. Like when you say, "Oh, what instrument you play?" Oh, I play the clarinet. Feels like you know I played that when I was in seventh grade. Yeah. Like more than any yeah. instrument, is it like the abandoned instrument? Yeah. from seventh graders. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, um, I I definitely abandoned it at some point. Yeah. Um, no more band. I put my foot down. So playing clarinet <laughs> in band as a child, it was uh, less a creative endeavor than it was uh, a school endeavor? Uh, well, I was interested in music for sure. Yeah. Um, I think if I, I think it was, I mean, for one, I picked that instrument because mm -hmm. um, my parents were not too into me with picking the instrument that, you know, I think I said like, oh, I'll play drums. And they were like, no. No, you <laughs> Um, <laughs> was that like they didn't have to? I mean, listen. If I had to like over, they had to listen to the clarinet. So. I, 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 I think listening to someone learn to play drums is far less irritating yeah. than someone learning to play the clarinet. Yeah, maybe the kit was too big. I never. I don't remember getting like a real explanation about that, but I do remember like cycling through a few and then yeah, and then landing on the clarinet. Yeah, I mean, you can fit it yeah. in your backpack. Like that's yeah, that's a good thing about it. Yeah, um, but th were they musical at all? Or are they musical at all? Uh, well, yeah, my, um, they, I mean, they both listened to a lot of music mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we went out and saw live music. So that was something that, uh, not everyone gets. Um, and, uh, my dad played guitar. So, mm -hmm. uh, 
again just like you know at home and like sure. with some friends and stuff like that but yeah that you know I, I i give my mom a lot of short shrift i give her a lot of grief you know for 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 everything but i i will say that throughout my life growing up like whenever i took an interest in anything she particularly music she said all right well, let's go let's go to a symphony concert let's go to hear some jazz like let's figure out what it is that yeah that's know. cool yeah i mean it, i hope i still do that yeah um i you know i definitely had some friends that didn't have that kind of uh opportunity yeah um and you know you'd kind of go over their house and it was like nothing like you're like where's all your stuff on the walls and like i think think that's the case now is that like every if you're i I can't imagine what it'd be like i don't want to sound like a stupid old guy but like as a kid growing up oh everything's digital in a home without books and records and like that sense of mystery yeah 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 art hanging on the walls yeah yeah so your parents were hip yeah i mean they definitely had like a lot of things that i'm currently interested in and yeah yeah, um was interested in there yeah and brothers and sisters i have one sibling yeah i have a sister yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. so did you going into high school you continued uh creative activity uh musically yeah uh more just as a person who was interested in going out and seeing music yeah Um, so i was in um in high school yeah Oh God, uh, <laughs> uh, probably a lot of garbage, and then really? yeah, I mean, it's like I sort of was like, you know, everything was uh, coming across my plate. Um, you know, there's definitely like a period of like the whole punk rock thing that got into that, um, like the good shit or like the questionable shit. Um, <laughs> what's the good shit? What's the questionable? I mean, shit? I, I would say good shit. Anything from like. You know, Sex Pistols and Ramones going over to like New York hardcore, like Crow Mags and stuff. Oh yeah, questionable shit being like No Effects and. Oh yeah, no, I didn't really listen to No Effects. Okay, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were some kids in school that um, had like big record collections. I didn't have a record collection. Yeah. My parents had records, and I would like listen to their records. I had like cassettes, and mm-hmm. people would make me like mixtapes, oh, and um, so good. So yeah, um, I think a lot of it was that I didn't really have, um, I didn't have that much money, and yeah. so it's and also record stores were like go go to a good record store. You went to New York or Philly. Um, yeah. So uh, it was also that like extra trip. It was um, making the extra trip to go to the record store mm-hmm. and get something. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I did definitely go out and go see live music. I mean, I would. By the time I was like, found anyone who could drive, I, <laughs> you know, would try to get people to go and drive and go up to like see things that were all ages shows up in, in New York. Or Phil- yeah, yeah, yeah. New York, um, you could take a bus, so mm-hmm. the bus was pretty easy to go up to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely did that too. Um, yeah, there. Uh... Did you find <laughs> when I think about my own experience of going to like again exactly as you just described like finding a friend with a car and like let's go to a show? Yeah, like, I think back on it. I'm like I put myself in a lot of like really dangerous situations <laughs> at the shows yeah. I was going to. <laughs> yeah, did you grow up outside the city as well? I, I grew up in a number of places, uh, oh, okay. but for a time, yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I definitely you know wherever I was, I found like whatever environment would be most dangerous for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think there weren't 
I think things are like a lot more safe now in a lot of ways yeah. and the, like people have phones and so like I don't know it seems like friends of mine um or even my sister who's older and her kids are now in college but um you know they stay in touch by via phone yeah um send a text hey yeah I'm going to sleep in its own so yeah 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 oh there was a lot of sleeping over people's houses <laughs> <laughs> Which, um. means, which means walking the streets <laughs> yeah. completely vulnerable to yeah. all the creeps yeah i don't know how anyone has kids and raises kids like i would seriously like the anxiety that it must cause yeah i mean kids yeah. are so like teenagers are so dumb yeah. they're so vulnerable yeah yeah i guess you know they can they can get in trouble but i mean in the end it's like you know we're here we're you know we made it through it's you know people yeah. make it through um <laughs> things are i think at the end you do you don't do anything too stupid hopefully you hopefully know? yeah right yeah right. Well, you know i i went to a trader joe's uh in atlanta like a week or two ago uh-huh. and i was buying a bottle of wine and the dude working behind the counter like he looked like you know he's lived a pretty hard life anyway uh-huh. but i thought he was like you know like 50 or something yeah and he looked at my id and I'm, I'm born in 1980. He's like, hey, man, I was also born in 1980. We're born the same year. And it was just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> like at some point you turned left and I turned right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when, when, when did you, what did you, did you, you went to undergrad? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I did art school. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. Um, what was the area of focus at art school? I. The area of focus was um, painting, um, really because we had to pick a discipline. I uh-huh. probably would not have, um, I mean, I love painting, but um, I was also doing a lot of video and performance and that sort of thing. And In high school, you were, were doing that before college? No, no, this is undergraduate. Okay. This is college, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was painting in um, high school, yeah. Do you still paint? Yeah. Yeah, but not... Um, yeah it's not every day um and i don't have a studio outside of my house right yeah but uh yeah i love painting it's it's an aspect of of what you still do yeah yeah it might be but it doesn't matter sorry (laughs) (laughs) um all right so where where did you go to art school uh also in philadelphia um at tyler school of art and was that experience satisfying yeah um Art school was, um, you know, (laughs) it was a great place to be. Um, A lot of time just like making art and um, and meeting some like really cool, interesting people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and did your interests musically begin to change or 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 evolve into? Yeah, you know, it's like a constant evolving, constant phase of moving through different things, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, in art school, um, I still was really interested in going to see bands. And um, yeah. Were you performing at all at the time? No, I had I was I was in I, I was in a band at one point, but it was really more of like a performance thing. It didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, actually, when I was walking over here, I was thinking because this um, other woman, Leah Cronenfeld, she was in the band as well, and I was like, oh, I remember because her dad actually was. Um, I don't know the director of the Henry Street Settlement, and so oh. I remember coming up and like 
hanging out with her. Wait, what's her name? Leah. No, the last name. Oh, Kronfeld. Is her dad either Henry or Stan? I met her dad like once. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure I know who her dad is. Oh, okay. And he's an interesting character. He was a cool guy. I remember me. Yeah. I mean, but it was a long time ago. This was like in the late 80s. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. But the Henry Seed Settlement, I, you know, I'm sorry for anyone who's listening to this that is like, isn't hyper aware of the Lower East Side, but I think I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about. Oh, okay. And he's yeah. a character. He used to give me a hard time. Oh, really? Well, I used to work at Russ and Daughters. Oh, okay. In my early yeah. 20s. Oh, okay. At, on Houston Street. Oh, and he would come in? He was a customer? Yeah, like three or four times a week. If it's the cat that I'm thinking of. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so so you, yeah, you and Leah were in a group together. Yeah, um, and then there was another woman, Michelle Amara, that was in the band as well. And what and, was the, um, the thrust of the band? Uh, well, and then there were three other guys in the band, so um, we were sort of the front performance vocal um and then the guys were playing instruments um the rhythm section as yeah it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah so uh like i said it was short-lived but it was fun <laughs> was that your first experience with did you guys play perform play out uh we played in our basement for we, had a, we had a party and invited yeah. people to come more than once <laughs> no once one show yeah we had one show and then okay. we all then all the females quit <laughs> was it based on something gender related <laughs> i think it was just like hey like you know i don't think we're like into like being like the front the front performance right, the soloists. aspect <laughs> of this band <laughs> um but yeah. was the idea with quitting like let's start our own shit or it was just like this is yeah i don't it was just one of those things that just sort of you know went into like the ether sure <laughs> so, i mean I'm, I'm, I'm just i'm curious about like like i i i, I i'm getting that you have a creative uh upbringing that is a little bit foreign to me like i actually didn't even go to college but like being able to, you know, sort of navigate like art school and, and, you know, many aspects of creative self-expression. Like I kind of have music, you know, and yeah. like, like just like playing my instrument, yeah. you know, and, and like, just the little bit that I know about you and the, and the stuff that you do, it seems like pretty holistic and informed by a lot of things. Um, well, I don't know how to answer that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, so in that band, what was your ex? <laughs> um, gosh, I can't believe I brought this up. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm opening I, up a can of Is there documentation here. of this group? I, you know, probably, I think we like, there was like a video or something like that, but who knows? I mean, Michelle Amara went on to like do more like video art right, and definitely right. like, I'm in a, like one of those videos that she did. She did all these trailers for like bands. So it was like, there was like the germs trailer Whoa. and like, yeah, the pussy galore, uh, trailer, things like that. And, um, that's great. Shit. All of us that were hanging around at that time in some capacity would like show up in her videos. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so, fucking cool. Yeah. They were really funny. They were hilarious. Um, yeah. 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 And a lot of times while she was shooting, she would also be laughing. So the camera was kind of shaking <laughs> a little bit. 
um yeah i don't know if they're like online or anything like that but yeah but that um, thing you just mentioned is great like the, about her laughing and the camera shaking yeah there's certain like when i watch um I don't want to say his name, but that fucking asshole in the White House. Oh, yeah. Like when, when I watch it like address things from a podium, uh-huh. and you can hear it breathe between things that it's saying, <laughs> to me, like it sort of like punctuates what it really is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this this like extra, like I know what it is by that. And yeah. like I feel like with a video like you described, if the, if the camera person is kind of laughing and shaking the camera, it's like another layer of like understanding what's really happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you might just think, I mean, there was like a lot of people just doing like home videos at that time. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I'm, you know, I made videos in art school too. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and 35 millimeter VHS. Just VHS stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Um, it was like if the video camera, if you had access to that sort of thing, then it was great to like take out, run it out for School the day. School provided access. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So you could run it out and use it. Yeah. And were you, when you were doing your video work with the VHS, was mm-hmm. this, um, in response to things that you were learning in school or was it a little more like, uh, let's just take the thing out and see what happens. Uh, well, actually, I yeah, it was about stuff that I was doing at school. So yeah. um, there was some like doing some performance stuff and like wanting to document that, and also just about like editing stuff together and um, and making a video. Um, yeah, yeah, that was related to painting in some respect, but um, at the same time, it was you know using a different medium. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I yeah, after art school I uh actually went over to Italy for a year and I lived yeah. in Rome. Um which, study abroad? Well, no, so this is after I graduated. Mm-hmm. I graduated and at the time I was dating someone that was finishing up his grad work and so he um was doing his last year over in Italy and um you know, asked me to come, which at the time I really was a little conflicted about. And, you know, Rome was not um, the cultural hub I was looking for as far as like music, for example. Um, I found it pretty difficult to find, connect with people that were interested in the kind of music I was interested in. Which at that time was, was, was what kind of stuff? It was, you know, just like a lot of the, I mean, a lot of, I would go see a lot of local bands in Philadelphia, but there were like, I wasn't really finding that kind of scene in mm-hmm. um, Rome. And, you know, there was like all the stuff that was like coming out of like the Pacific Northwest. It's like, you know, I would listen to stuff like Sun City Girls, yeah. but there was also a lot of like, you know, I'd listen to like also, you know, Mud Honey mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I think like you know jesus lizard was around at that time and you know yeah i mean amazing stuff yeah so um there you know bands would come through and tour through italy but it's like as far as finding like a local scene that wasn't really no it wasn't going on that way there was things that were more like i would say very like genre specific like hardcore or like you know sort of like ska or something like that but it wasn't like it didn't feel like a homegrown scene um There's, you know it's it's funny that you say that it's like there is 
if you're, you know, from DC in the eighties, you know, seeing bad brains in DC in the eighties is very different yeah. from seeing bad brains in the eighties on tour. Yeah. When it's yeah. kind of like you're in the, that foment, it's totally different experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely, you know, Philly had like a pretty good scene yeah. of bands going on at that time. And I also had a lot of friends that played in bands that are bands that you probably never heard of because they never put out a record or, you know, that sort of thing. But there was definitely a very vibrant music scene. Yeah. So yeah. the time in Rome was isolated? So, well, yeah. So it felt like a little isolated as far as that, like musically and I think that's like really when I made that transition in my mind is I was there and I was around a lot of people who were making art and, mm -hmm. um, and you know, I was making art while I was there too. I actually had a studio, uh, but I wasn't interested in going to graduate school for art. You were not interested. In no. Um, you know, I had, I had gone through art school and there was a lot of, you know, in a lot of ways it was great, but also there was a lot of things that I felt like, um, were limiting and you know having to pick like a discipline and you know some th things felt like very constraining in a lot of ways um so mm -hmm. i wasn't interested in pursuing <laughs> that um i was interested in pursuing my own art and sure. at that time um yeah i think a part of it was like really being somewhere where i wasn't around all my friends playing music that i decided when i get back to the u.s i'm just gonna buy a guitar and just start playing so I did that. You said that. You said yeah, with I, some clarity, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I really did. Like, that's what I did. And you came back to, to Philly? To... Well, I came back to Philadelphia, but very briefly. Mm -hmm. um, I actually went out to the West Coast. And, Where? Uh, to San Francisco. And what year-ish was uh, this? So it's like 1990. San Francisco in yeah. 1990 was a real yeah. place. Yeah. So uh, it was, yeah, pre.com. It was a real place. <laughs> like there was actually a bit, a bit of uh, a vibe to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Did you live in the mission? Um, I lived all over the place. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> How long were you were you in SF? I came back to the East Coast in '94. Um, so you were out there for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was out there, and also a lot of people that I had gone to school with, they also moved out there as well, and then there was kind of this whole group of people that I was friends with at Tyler that moved out there, and then um, they moved, that whole group actually ended up moving to New York City, right. and I moved um, to Phil I moved back to Philadelphia. Do you remember what kind of guitar you bought when you uh, re-entered the United States? <laughs> yeah. What was it? <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a Fender copy, a Squire. It, it was a Fender or a Fender copy? A copy, yeah. Squire. Who, who Squire. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think Squire. I okay. mean, that's the company. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. I think yeah. Squire was a model. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I had that guitar. It wasn't the guitar that I wanted to get. Actually, a friend of mine um, who... I'd lived with and gone to school with, um, and he played in a lot of bands. He was like, Oh, I saw this like really awesome K guitar at the guitar shop. Uh -huh. And he's like, I'll take you up there and, and you know, we can get it or whatever. Cause I told him I was looking for a guitar and I wanted to get a guitar. And, um, then we went up and then it was gone. So Ugh. then he was like, Oh, you should just get this other one. It was like, you know, it was like super cheap. Um, uh -huh. And I ended up getting it. And um, then I 
the house that I was living at at the time. Um, so those were <clears throat> also some friends of mine from school and they had a band and we used the garage as the practice space. They used the garage as the mm-hmm, practice space, mm-hmm. but they were really cool and just said like, Oh yeah, you can use like our equipment and like go down there and like, you know, feel free to use my pedals and all that sort of thing. So it's pretty generous. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I, would just go down there and I think create like huge walls of sound. <laughs> Solo, you go down by yourself. Yeah, I would go down by myself, and um, I also had a roommate, uh, Jesse Arnold. She lived up here in New York, and actually was in like a couple bands up here, um, and then moved back to Philly. I've like totally lost touch with her at this point, but she was my roommate at the time, and she also had a bass and like started playing um, around the same time. Sometimes we would play together, but a lot of times... Um, improvising, working oh, on... Oh, totally improvising, yeah. Were you thinking of it as improvising? Were you... um, well, I was interested in just really getting inside of the sound. Um, I wasn't yeah. really thinking about constructing a song. And, I mean, that's why Jesse and I probably didn't um, play together too much because she was much more interested in like oh hey i just like learned like this bass line from like a depot song or something right. and i was like cool <laughs> cool don't play that Let's... i had like one cassette that i you know again it was like recording over stuff and like right. i would you know i there was a cassette player and i would record stuff um but i think like one tape survived and it's over it's dubbed over something else which i don't remember why but it's called distortion (laughs) (laughs) that's great it's so good so when you when you go from rome to san francisco you say i'm gonna get a guitar fuck grad school i'm gonna do my own thing what was the if if you can like what do you remember being like the genesis like what the the original creative idea of what you were going to do with the guitar um well i just wanted to make music and i didn't have a plan right <laughs> but did you when you said okay well, as soon as i get i didn't guitar, think I'm... about like oh i'm gonna like form a band um i just yeah it was more about like playing music and seeing what happened yeah. um and um so why i was doing that again the friend who had um helped me get the guitar the first guitar um, so I had that squire for uh, about uh, I don't know, like a year or something like that. Was and it, then, and it was it. Did did you have a good relationship with the squire physically? There was some. Um, well, I mean, I didn't really. You know, I like would play like some other people's guitars, and they sounded really different. Like, right. For example, like you know, I'd play like a Fender actually, and I'm like, well, like you know, my one of the guys had like a Fender Jaguar, and it like sound totally different than my sure. squire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah i started uh dating a guy who had a gibson and so i started playing like the gibson like and a les like, paul yeah and like it's that also yeah beautiful tone so actually that's how i got my second guitar which i still have today and I've had quite a few guitars. I've gone through a period of like buying guitars and, oh. you know, but always, so I have, I got an SG. Um, so yeah. I had that Squire and I got an SG and that's the guitar that I still have today. I love it. That's still your main. Yeah. Yeah. 
I guitars more than anything to me like ignite this sort of like macho like muscle car aspect of my being. Yeah, it's really funny when people. Well, the other thing is is that with that SG, um, you know, there's sometimes when I'm like playing it on the ground or you know yeah. doing something with it, where I'll have people come up to me after shows and be like, "Oh God." I was just really, you don't know. It's like those necks are weak on those They're guitars. Worried about the guitar. and yeah, <laughs> I was so worried about that guitar. <laughs> yeah, but did you enjoy the music? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I they don't. They like seem like they're like in high anxiety. <laughs> but there's like, I, I, I get that, and I, I, I get that. I get that because there's something about the guitar. Especially like if you have that mindset, that like fetishist yeah. mindset, like you're like, yeah. Well, like, I mean, that's how I learned that it does have a weak neck. I didn't know that it had a weak <laughs> neck, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So there was like certain things that then I started to think like, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't like, you know, do that with the guitar. But... You you learn the 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 limits of of yeah. the thing. Yeah. 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 It's funny for like I'm I'm a self taught musician and. I, just, I'm really, always, I'm very curious about people's physical relationships with their instruments. Yeah, as much shit as I was talking, you know, 25 minutes ago about the clarinet being a dumb instrument. Mm -hmm. Like, I ultimately play it because the clarinet and I have, you know, we have some chemistry physically that is, you know, hard to deny. Right. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't grow, like. I mean, you, did you take guitar lessons or did you pick it up from the perspective of just like a creative person? That... Yeah, I picked it up from the perspective yeah. of a creative person. Yeah. And in fact, um, so, well, what I started to say and we went off um, track is that Grant, um, the person who I'd gone to school with and then had helped me with that Squire guitar, um, he and I started playing together then like the last year of San Francisco. And Grant, um, I mean, he was a really accomplished guitar player and he kind of liked that I didn't know how to play guitar. And right. so like anytime I'd be, you know, like, I mean, he showed me some basic stuff, but then like when I like kind of like be itching for a little bit more, it'd be like, no, it's kind of awesome how like <laughs> you like come up with these really weird things. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but was yeah. he ever like, Hey, I see what you're doing. That's awesome. Here's an easier way to do it. That kind of thing. No, I mean, a lot of, um, so we started a band called Un, and, yeah, um, Un. yeah, so we started this band called Un out there, and, um, a lot of that was, like, very slow, very repetitive playing, um, and, uh, yeah, he would kind of, you know, have these, like, really beautiful pieces that would kind of go around, like, my clunky, like, kung, 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 And that was sort of, like, the, the idea of yeah. the band? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll do me, you do you. And... Yeah, I mean, initially when we started out, for sure. Yeah. Uh, that was, I mean, it was really, in a lot of ways, like, his concept. And I had been, like, really just, like, you know, wailing away, like, distortion <laughs> was a sound. So I, you know, it was like tuning it down, going like way, you know, he was like, I think really influenced by like bands like Low or, sure. you know, I, he was like a huge like K Records fan person. Right. Um, yeah. Definitely like more into like the indie rock scene than mm -hmm. maybe I was. Right. Yeah. Right at that point, you the music that was most inter interesting to you was. I mean, I was super into like the Dead Sea Gate, um, yeah. you know, and like Gate is definitely like very free playing. Um, yeah, yeah, 
Um, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, there was, there's certain, like, record labels that were, you know, you could just kind of, like, pretty much, like, buy everything that was coming out. Because you like, knew were, that if it yeah. was on that label, it was going to be deep. Yeah. 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 It's some of that still. It's not the yeah. Same. Yeah. I mean, if, I guess there's some of it, yeah. And, um, you know, some good, like, cassette label. The whole cassette thing's had this revival. Which yeah, I, don't, kinda, I, don't, I don't know what I think about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's I mean the people are 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 manifesting a vibe around it and like that is awesome to me. I just to me the cassette as a format is not so compelling. Yeah, I mean it's annoying. It, I mean a lot of times it just I feel like the cover breaks and you know cassettes that I've had for a really long time like of course like the tape doesn't like hold out. But I mean the CDs too. It's like I've had CDs right. that malfunction sure totally 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 i yeah. mean i think i mean vinyl is really like my choice yeah i mean yeah. it's the most you know tactile it is you know across the board you know it's a pain in the ass for shipping it's a pain in the ass for a variety of reasons but yeah 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 it's... i mean and now a lot of people are just doing like straight up digital um you know not me yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. but but the um yeah, I, I I agree that like w as far as like labels that are kind of cultivating like you know like a strong identity and a vibe and sort of like you know that hey this is like I think the cassette people are kind of doing it the best. Yeah, I just I'm yeah. not I'm not crazy about the format. Right. Yeah. 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 And I have to imagine that at that time in San Francisco, like there was plenty of of opportunities of play of like it was a pretty open place at that time. Yeah, there were, again, like, a lot of venues. Um, it was definitely, I would say, like, a different music scene than the East Coast. It's like, you know, but I also, you know, was exposed to a lot of stuff that, you know, was newer to me. Yeah. So, um, and there was stuff, like, I got to see, like, the Sun City Girls, which it's like, they wouldn't really come on to the East Coast too much, I think. No. Like... You became aware of them while you were out. In no, the I mean I knew. No, I knew them from. They're, uh, they're pretty crucial. Yeah, they were definitely like a band that I knew early on and like followed and thought they were an awesome band. I, th I think Sun City Girls, like people that know and love Sun City Girls, fucking love Sun City Girls. Yeah, I mean I yeah it was like Meat Puppets at that time yeah. and um yeah I mean like the whole. It, they weren't a part of that SST scene, but right. there was definitely like a circle of bands going on at that time, which like they really stood out from that. Sure. Um, and were really. They've um, always seemed like an oracle to me. Like yeah. they, they kind of like Sun City Girls certainly exist like in their own universe. Yeah. But they also like if you like, kind of tap into what Sun, like, like um like sir richard bishop like if you like tap into what these guys are about like you mm -hmm. will ex you will learn this whole world of music that you probably didn't know existed right like from yeah. all just their interests in you know like you know fucking balinese music and exactly any morricone or whatever it is yeah yeah and i like you know climax golden twins too it's like rob also i think you know yeah. it's just like the whole like i mean well now like there's like the sublime frequencies right. that like again it's like exposing people to a lot of bands from like other places that might not come across their radar yeah um yeah so so um, back to this duo of you clang a clang a and melody over the top like were you guys doing shows 
in San Francisco, we played one show. Where yeah. was that? Um, it was like at some, um, I think it was like a church or something <laughs> like that. It was like some weird spot. It wasn't like a regular venue. Right. Um, party. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And then uh, we moved back to the East Coast. and As a band. So it's... Yeah. So we moved back to the East Coast as a band, as a duo, and another friend of ours um, from that also went to Tyler, but had been living out in the West Coast, but um, up in Seattle, which is also where Grant had been living for a while. He came back down to San Francisco that last year and started living down there. Um, he ended up moving back from Seattle and um, starting to play with us. So we were a trio on mm. was. And our first show um, happened because a friend of ours, um, called us up and said hey you know you, i know you guys have been playing and um the opening band the drummer broke her leg so can you fill in that spot and this was like day of they called or it was like the day it was short notice yeah i don't know if it was a day of but it was a couple of days before and so we said yeah you know okay and we went down and played the show and then afterwards um that same guy doug um called me and said you know tom lax wants to put out your record and i was like silk breeze really <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. i was like you know i was a huge fan of stuff coming out on silk breeze yeah. but i really i was like well then why didn't he say anything to us and doug was like i don't know and i don't know it was a you know a little while later I was at a show and like buying like a record from a merch table from Tom Lax and yeah. Tom said, Hey, you're in that band on, right? Yeah. And I said, yeah. And he was like, I'd really like to talk to you about putting out a record. So it was kind of effortless. For us. It That's was nice amazing. that we were in Philadelphia. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we ended up, uh, our first record came out in Silk Breeze. Yeah. Yeah. And how long was un? going like how long did the band go uh so we went until about i guess it was like 97 um and run. so uh yeah like three years uh -huh. um and it was the trio and then this other woman tara a friend of ours um who she does for saxa um at the time she wasn't um she joined the band for the last year okay and uh yeah so uh yeah how many records did you guys make? We so we just did that one, and then we had <laughs> and like we had we had a yeah. Then we had a a tour single. We did this tour with Harry Pussy. It was like supposed to be a cross country tour, um, but it turned out that uh, we canceled like the southern end of it. It was something like there was like too many gaps or something like that. You um, guys canceled. You guys pulled out. Well, no, us and Harry Pussy together. Right. I mean, like Tom was working with i think he was like working with the guy from like three days double or something he so there was someone on the west coast that would like book shows for mm -hmm. tom and so but it was it was one of those things where we just had like a couple shows and then we we're going to do the west coast and the west coast was more consistent dates and so we just decided we didn't want to like do those like spotty dates so we just drove straight 
like literally straight without i mean just stopping to use the restroom and you know grab a bite to eat like three or four days three days yeah just pedal to the floor yeah um yeah we had a van and we built like a loft thing in it and um we just went straight out to west coast and then we drove back we played a couple shows coming back um on the north like we drove back on 80 Um, yeah yeah but i remember like just brutal drives was that the end of the band uh, not for on no, okay. <laughs> not for Harry Pussy either. <laughs> right, right, right. But, I'm thinking. Um... <laughs> okay, I, I'm thinking back to a conversation I had with Bill Orcutt like a year or two ago. Yeah, and this there's some. My memory's not always so good, but something's. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So uh, no, it wasn't the end of the band. Um, it was, a, yeah, it was a pretty intense tour. But uh... was that? Had you done much touring prior to that? No, that was like the first time I had done like something like that. Um, you know, we had like played some shows like locally, right. um, but nothing like that. Do you yeah. like touring? Um, I have never done like a month long tour. I don't yeah. think that I would particularly like that. Yeah. Um, I'm fine with like, you know, I think like 10 days is about my cap. And, sure. you know, even now... I'm really into like just going someplace and like playing like a show or two and yep. then coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, so unended around 97. Yeah. Yeah. So unended around 97 and it really, you know, dovetailed with, uh, starting double leopards. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we did actually. Uh, so the last tour undid actually was with the Shadow Ring. Um, really? Yeah, um, we did, and it was like a southern tour, um, and you know we played like a play, like went down to like Chapel Hill, and you know I think Richmond, and we played in Blacksburg. Pell, oh. do you, you know that band? Pell, Jack Rose was in. Oh, okay. Um, Pell, yeah. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, we did that tour, and that was the last untour. <laughs> um, and we came back, and I had already started playing with um, Chris Gray, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we started Double Leopards, and uh, he was playing with another person, John and Chris, and so it just sort of, like, all came together, where it was like, let's just all play together. And yeah, Double Leopards started up. As a continuation of Un. Or as an... a totally separate thing. Oh, okay, okay, Very okay, okay. separate. I just, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. in fact, like, um, I really, I mean, Double Leopards initially started out with like anytime anything would get like somewhat like rhythmic or like getting into like a sort of like song thing, it was like ground rule you break out of it. <laughs> it you know, it was. I really didn't want to go back in or like that. repeat like going like doing what i wanted to like really separate from on was that yeah. uh like purely a creative decision slash feeling or was it also sort of just like on a personal level you were trying to both uh, yeah. yeah i mean i think sometimes those things are like very deeply intertwined so sure. it's hard to sure. say like one right. or the other um but yeah i mean also uh yeah, it was it was personal, but it was also creative. Wanting to just move yeah. away from uh, that, you know, I really was not interested in like playing songs live and like sort of repeating songs that way. It mm-hmm. just, you know, that was like for me um, 
pretty tedious. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I get that. I get that. Um, <laughs> I mean, they were never the same. <laughs> but... <laughs> it's it's funny whenever I think about like both music and musical um, relationships that I've had, but also just like jobs that I've had. Yeah, I think back and like jobs that I had in the past, musical relationships I had in the past, and how I would approach them differently now. Yeah, I I think I need to put that in the other direction and think about how I can do that in the future. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I mean, it's for some. I mean, it's different ways that people think and different ways that people like you know really get into you know working. And for I definitely have like a handful of friends that are like really into like having like a really tight set. Mm-hmm. And you know when they explain it to me, I just think like, man, <laughs> why? <laughs> Not so compelling. That's not where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's but it's good to have confidence in your feeling around that. Yeah. I always assume I'm wrong about everything, you know. Yeah. So if someone says like they want this thing, even though it's like not attractive to me, I'm like, oh, I'm probably wrong for not also wanting that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So so double leopards get started and and for you it was like a clear uh like pivot point of yeah trying like something divergence yeah, yeah like moving into um an area where things were really free and where um you know it wasn't about like locking into um a rhythm together mm-hmm. it was like you know dissidence was good mm-hmm yeah. mm-hmm and at that and and through and switching a lot of instruments too really? you know not like always playing the same instrument um everyone so, in the group was taking that approach uh not everyone but yeah i mean there was a fair amount of just like you know shifting around on things and what not always were you sort of cycling um, through well so at that time um i had an apartment and it had a basement and um so, you know, there were drums down there. There was like, you know, Krumar, keyboard synth. Um, there were guitars, bass, you know, various like little, you know, handheld mm-hmm. percussive type things. Um, yeah. And that all found its way in. Yeah. So all that stuff. Um, and then there were things um, like one of the guys had a dictaphone. So that was used. Um, right. Yeah. Um, were you doing much improvising outside of the group? Were you were you doing that thing where you were like hooking up with all different kinds of people to play shows? At and... that time, no. I mean, I would play on my own a lot. And yeah. I've always enjoyed playing on my own. Um, it's just kind of without really, you know, it's like I just it's something like I would come home and just go down and like, play music and without thinking about like oh i'm gonna make a recording and i'm gonna release this it was just about going down and like playing music and (sighs) going into you know that space and it's a good space yeah it's a very healing space yeah 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 so uh yeah and then that band um we also Chris was friends with a good friends with a guy who in Philadelphia at that time um I don't know if this is still the case but you could apply to live in one of the historic houses because the historic houses were in parks and a lot of times they wanted people just to be there to like make sure it wasn't like vandalized sure. or um so he had a friend that was living um in a part in a house that was up in Fairmount Park and that had a little 
like stone um, house that was adjacent to the big historic house. And he used that. He was actually in Bardo Pond. He'd been, um, okay. Joe, he had been drumming with Bardo Pond. So he had a whole studio set up in there. And he was like, yeah, sure, you guys can come up here and like use this space. So we would go up there, which was great because it was in the middle of a park. And, you know. And that's you where could, you guys recorded. Yeah. So you could like make as much noise as you wanted to. And, you know, you could play like late at night and there wasn't a problem. You got to find those situations. Yeah. Gotta yeah. Find situa- yeah. Yeah. So we um, we were playing there and um, yeah, playing some shows around. Um, not I wouldn't say we played out a lot. Um, in Philadelphia, Philly is like definitely a rock town. It, it certainly, <laughs> it's a tough town. I do remember it's getting a, a lot of heckling anytime we did play at gigs. <laughs> oh, for sure. Of just yeah. like like towny down home Philly boys. I mean, no, I mean, well, yeah. If you were like, you know, I mean. There's a there's a small enough scene there that a lot of times your friends would be there, so right. it's not um, like you're just going into. I would never just go into like you know the the corner bar to try to play a show there. <laughs> but um... you know, at least on the East Coast, I, I I can't speak to this as a West Coast thing, but I, on the East Coast, from north to south, townies are tough. You know, and they're tough and dumb in their own specific ways, depending on where you are. But when you're in Foley, or how, how do they say the Phil Foley? <laughs> like it's it's like a hard, dumb. You know, yeah. yeah. Same with Boston. Same yeah. with New York. Same with you know. Yeah. Well, for a, yeah, for a while we were living up in um, this warehouse, um, <clears throat> which was in it was in between it was like in between Frankfurt and Fishtown. Um, it was kind of this like dead end area. Um, where old railroad tracks had gone through. And um, a couple times after band practice, we had thought, like, oh, we'll go down and go get a beer, like, at a bar. And it was just like, no, (laughs) this isn't going to (laughs) work. What what do you mean? It was like the... Oh, it was abusive. It was like, you're not from here, and we're going to let you know that you're not from here. You'd walk in and just looking at you, that would be the case? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it would be like, you know, the... Guys would pick fights with the guys by insulting like us, the women. So it was like me and Tara, and you know it was just uncomfortable and not welcoming. So we just would leave, <laughs> and you know, and also because we were making noise in our warehouse, people would come by, like you know, teenagers or whatever, like throwing like stuff at the warehouse and like yelling things. But it was like a fortress. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't feel too threatened in that no, way. No, 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 no. That's yeah, yeah. That's that's the East Coast. Yeah, it's definitely it's the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so double leopards, like that, but that band lasted for a while. Yeah. So then, um, yeah, and it went through you know a few different um, personnel changes. Mm-hmm. Like Chris and I were always in the band, um, and. Yeah, we relocated up to New York. That was um, actually my first archiving job. I moved up to New York because I got a job um, working at MoMA. Um, really? Yeah. Um, processing a collection of um, this woman, Grace M. Mayer. Uh, she had created the Edward Steichen archive at MoMA, and so I was. Uh, she had a huge photo collection and her personal papers. So that was my first job out of grad school. Was that, was that exciting? 
job. Yeah, it was a great, I mean, it was a great collection to work on. Yeah. Um, working at MoMA was exciting. Um, and moving to New York was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so I mean, I, there was a lot of things about New York. We were already coming up to New York a lot. Um, you know, there was, uh, like the cooler was going on. So it's like we had mm -hmm. played at the cooler, but also just like being in New York and being able to go there. Um, and So you moved um, here in what year? Oh, that was 99. 99. And where did you move to? Well, felt like Philadelphia. We moved to Queens. <laughs> where in Queens? Where, like... Queens is still kind of <laughs> like Queens. Yeah, felt like we're just in Philadelphia still. Yeah, uh, it and, looks the I same. mean, even then, too. So we lived in Astoria and um, for that first year. And then we moved to Greenpoint. But before, uh, when we lived in Astoria, it really felt like out there because it was the end train and yep. it did the not run yeah it i mean maybe it runs better now i don't know but in definitely you know going to go see a show meant that like it could take you two and a half hours to get home so it was kind of like driving back to philly yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you know it's like the train just taking like a ridiculously long time and i mean maybe i'm exaggerating sure but, sure no, you know, but i get it, it like <laughs> It felt I, like two and a half hours. <laughs> I mean, just as like a quick side tangent thing, you know, about 12 or 13 years ago, I got jumped in a subway station. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I've kind of avoided the subway whenever oh, well. possible. Yeah. You know, I go on foot, I take the bus, I take cars. Um, but when I think about my early 20s in New York, I close my eyes and I, I can still feel like I'm on an ice cold train track in the middle of the night waiting for 30 to 40 minutes to yeah. an hour for a fucking subway to show up yeah freezing yeah. my ass off yeah yeah um i i do not <laughs> want to go back to that time <laughs> yeah did um but for going to MoMA, the story is like super oh yeah so that convenient. was yeah that yeah. was a very good commute um for yeah going into 53rd street yeah did you feel um, did you feel ingratiated into queens or were you just always sort of an alien in queens uh well you know i found like some really great restaurants out there yeah. and you know um it, yeah i mean i liked like walking down by the river and yeah. it wasn't um it just as far as the logistics of like going to go see friends play at like the pink pony or something like that it just felt like that was a real investment yeah um, yeah yeah um I'm, it's like that for me now when people tell me they're playing at like yeah fucking transpicos or holo yeah yeah those places are far yeah like, and i imagine going and, from the lower east side to ridgewood i'm just like oh geez i don't know man yeah yeah that's a long well yeah and like the knitting factory was going on then that would have um, been on leonard's yeah exactly yeah. yeah right yeah so all those things like it was just like a trek um and where were you guys a tonic playing? too tonic would have yeah. just started yeah yeah in fact i worked at tonic are you um, serious yeah, I was, um, well, I had a really good uh, deal there because, well, my friend Helen Rush was working there. She worked on the door. She bridged. and Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I was like getting some subbing from her. Like sometimes she would need someone to sub and so I would sub. And, and then I, the yeah, and I would do the yeah. door. And then they needed someone to work the Klezmer brunch on Sunday, which was actually a great thing because I would go and get, bagels and coffee and work the door and then i could get in free the whole week and go see anything because i was working there so okay. anyone What's that the worked there time is that so that was like i guess it was like 
by that time it was probably 2000 so like i was there from like 2000 to like i i can't remember when i stopped doing it probably like 2001 two I am going to go out on a limb and feel like I have memory of you coming into Russ and Daughters on Sunday morning <laughs> to pick up the order. Is that when <laughs> you worked there? Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't remember you. No, 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 no. But I always... Um... <laughs> So my friend Nikki, who's one of the owners of Russ and Daughters, you know, like <laughs> my family, that family, we've been friends for, you know, a uh-huh. thousand years. But um, whenever Sunday morning, there was Esty was one of the people. Oh, yeah. Remember Esty? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. yeah. Esty yeah. and then my friend Paul's wife, um, Corrine, mm-hmm. were people. Yeah. That, yeah. Yep. Uh, like whenever I would see Esty or Corrine or think maybe you, I was like, oh, cool. The people from Tonic are here. Yeah. It's like a three minute respite from like all the old. Jews yelling at me. <laughs> oh, people would yell at you when you worked there. Are you me? Oh God! Like I was a punching bag. Like complain about punching bag. Th- yeah, human okay. punching bag. That was. Like, but they my... complain about things that they had already purchased, like last week, and complain it wasn't about like anything that entered their minds. <laughs> the Klezmer brunch to me was always like I would see the like whoever it was coming to get the bagels, and I'm like, all right, for three minutes out of this ten hour day, gonna... get some peace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They'll just say thank you. Yes. I'm like, hey, who's playing today? Dave Cracker? Oh, yeah. man. I hope yeah. you dig it. Yeah. 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 Talk- yeah so that was, um, that was definitely a really nice uh, situation. Um, and at the time, you know, like I said, I had my day job. So um, if I did work like a weeknight, which like sometimes I would, um, I'd always feel like pretty tired the next day. Sure. But, sure. Yeah. And then. So it would have been not long. Like, I, I'm probably is it Zaimf? Yeah. Am I saying that correctly? Um. Yeah. I mean, I say Zaimf. You say Zaimf. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, I think that the Hebrew, like, uh, it's the umlaut over the I. I think. What does, that, what does that do to an I? I well, like, yeah. I mean, I just assume, you know, when other people are like Zaimf, that you know, oh, they must know what's going on with that umlaut over the I. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I see an A, I, M, or N, and I say I, E is uh-huh. how I go. So I thought, it was, so, but, but that's your solo project. Yeah. And would that would have been like 2000? Uh, so, Zyph, uh, well, yeah, that was later. Yeah. That started, uh, it's like, I mean, really, that started when um, I was going, I, I was with um, someone who was British, and so I was, like, spending part of my time in New York and part of my time over in England. And, in London? Or? Uh, no, in um, in Leeds. Oof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, and, again, yeah, picking up and just starting to, like, play music um, by myself because that, I you know, I had a lot of time That's <laughs> by <were> myself. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I put out, I guess I did, like, Double Leopards went on a tour, and I put out a CDR. That was the CDR days. Remember those? Um, <laughs> I did a CDR, and then, but I don't think I actually, yeah, at that time I didn't, it was just, like, Marsha Bassett. I didn't, I didn't title it anything. Um, and then, um, yeah, I was like reading this Flaubert novel when I was over in England, uh, Salambo, and the Zymph is like the holy magical veil that um, is stolen from the moon goddess Tanit. And I just kind of liked the name um, Zymph. And, yeah, it rules. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, I I put out a CDR. R. <laughs> CDRs. Look, if the cassette is any indication, the CDR might return, and I hope that it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I made uh, like four or five CDR releases before an official uh-huh. release, and I'm still like more proud of those than I am of anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you still like they're still good and everything? I mean, Musically? I know a lot. Of, well, you know a lot. Oh, no, yeah. but it's like a lot of people. You know, during that CDR like heyday when you know everyone was like just putting out like you know a CDR a week or something. It felt like. Um, a lot of those CDRs, like, you know, some, I have, like, a lot of stuff that, you know, sometimes, I'm, like, going through, and it's just, like, the whole thing. Well, people used to spray paint the front of them and stuff, too, but it's, like, right. it just won't even play at all. Really? I, I haven't tried in a while. Yeah. But you've got me worried. Like, I feel like I need to digitize those yeah. things before yeah. before yeah. they die. Yeah. Uh, but, but And you began playing shows as I'm for on that time. Yeah. Or, that yeah. And I, well, <laughs> actually, my first live Zymph show um was uh it was uh Carlos Giovanni's like no fun festival but it was I wasn't billed as Zymph it was Hoda de Gisu which was my partner Matthew uh-huh. we were scheduled to play and we were both coming from England and he um was that a Galapagos or something no it was down in um it was at the hook in the red hook okay yeah um I mean, it was a, it was it floated around to a few different venues, but that year it was at the Hook. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, he didn't get on the plane because he it was you know he needed his boarding pass or his ticket or something, and you know it was one of those things where he thought it was just going to be electronic, and so he didn't get on the plane, and so I flew over by yourself. At, and yeah, which, you know, it's no big deal flying over myself. But I arrived and, and Carlos was like, you know, shit, Matthew didn't make it. Like, do you want to just take the spot and just play solo? And so I said, yeah, sure. And had you done solo shows before that? No, that was my first solo show. And um, you were felt you're like, yeah, cool. Or well, we... I'd been playing a lot. You know, yeah. I'd been playing with other people and, you know, I'd been playing on my own. So, um, yeah. It was it was great, but I I played for five minutes. I blew the speakers. <laughs> it was like the whole. It that was sound, playing. That, it was like this huge sound, and all of a sudden it just cut. That sounds like the No Fun Fest. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. Five minute set. <laughs> Wait, but so they didn't get the thing back up and going, and you played. Well, at that point, I was just like, that's Success. it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> I went to the No Fun Fest. I think in like two thousand four. 2003 something like that yeah well there were always multiple nights yeah, yeah. and i remember a lot of five minute sets yeah five to fifteen yeah i minutes. mean it, they were packed there were a ton of people playing and yeah it would run over like you know three four nights um yeah so what's the funny thing about the noise scene there's always a lot of gear for a really short set yeah that's true yeah <laughs> a lot, yeah. Of, a lot yeah, of pedals they're... and tabletops yeah for... <laughs> yeah yeah have you have you, do you go out to like the End Times Festival at all? I was actually just looking at the flyer for oh, okay. uh, for this. You're playing it, right? Yeah, I'm doing a collaboration with Barry Weisblatt. So uh, Barry Weisblatt. Do you know him too? He we've must. met. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, I don't know, shit, how can I paraphrase this? There's this building around the corner from here. Do you know about this? It's called... Um, Which building? <laughs> it's 311 East Broadway. I was actually looking... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. E-flux? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, I walked by and I was going to ask you, um, but then we started talking about right. something else if you ever went to any of the E-flux events. 
I only learned Eflux literally 20 minutes before you turned up because I was like, I was looking at the end times thing and I saw Barry Weissblatt and I was like, oh, yeah, I see him outside that building and I always see other people outside that building. So I know that building is something, but it's super mysterious to me. Oh, okay. So yeah. I was literally, I Googled the address and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Yeah. So they do shows. Uh, they do uh, more, a lot of times talks, like very heady right. philosophical um, talks um, and art. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Right. Um, and they do art installations, art shows. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you and Barry are going to play the the End Times Fest. Yeah, but is End Times at... No. Three okay. No, no, yeah, no, 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 I'm no, no, like, no. I thought End Times it's was at, not a secret project. I think it's issue issue project. Group. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's at Secret Project. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's at... Um, I mean, he sometimes... With End Times, a lot of times, uh, Bob was a member of silent barn i guess silent barn isn't i think it's gone yeah it's gone now right yeah. yeah so um i mean barb bob was part of that collective and so he would always have part of the festival there and then you know issue project room knockdown center outpost you know any mm -hmm. one of those places would usually be one night of the festival as well mm -hmm. um yeah i think this year it's just at secret project robot though. that's good yeah that'd be good to have it consolidated yeah. probably yeah yeah. I mean, I think it was fine to have it start. Usually he would start the festival off at one of those other places. And, um, you know, Outpost was good for video work. Uh -huh. And I, you know, who knows if he's, I don't know if he's going to do that again this year, but it definitely is good for people screening video. And a lot of times they wouldn't have that running during the afternoon as well. Yeah. I was looking at the lineup. There's a lot of people. Yeah. There's a lot of people. Well, I mean, go back to the five minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of times they're short sets. I mean, he runs it really um, quickly. You know, it's fast moving. And, you know, a lot of times it's like moving from like like the front or the Left back or right. the, the yeah. outside. You know, I've seen it at Silent Barn where there might be someone doing it outside and then inside. Or at one point, Silent Barn had it upstairs, too, which was right. someone's apartment. Right, right. Um, I remember that. And so sometimes it was upstairs, downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. And also when Silent Barn was out at um, where Transpecos is now. Right. Um, I can't keep up. Yeah. Yeah, stuff moves around. It's tricky. Like, yeah. I, 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 I end yeah. up at places and I, I'm like, I think I've been here before. Well, now, I mean, there's actually like a lot of places to play, you know, going back yeah. to that time period of like when I first moved to New York. Um, it was kind of limited. I mean... There weren't that many places. And then, there, you know, Free 103 opened. Did you ever go to Free 103? Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Um, and they were, you know, a solid venue. Um, where, where are you playing now? Like, where like, what are the venues that you're, you're thinking of when you say? Well, I'm just thinking back then there was things like, you know, the Pink Pony or... Um, Taylor Mead, you know. Out. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I forget when the cooler closed down, but it closed. And then, you know, Tonic was a place, but it was not a place that, like, anyone could just go and go do it's a kind show of exclusive, at. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty exclusive. Um, yeah, I mean, there were, like, some warehouses here and there, but, yeah, I feel like now there's more places to play than at that time period. Yeah. More DIY venues. Sure, sure. Or more people working in the capacity where they're, you know, go into a bar and like do like a series or something like that. And, yeah. You know, monthly series or something like that. Right. Have you played Troost? Mm -hmm. Is it yeah. awesome? I like 
like the vibe at Trigist. It's tiny. It's yeah. a really small space, but um, it's, you know, it's really great in that way that it's like very small. I think like Sunview Luncheonette, which yeah. is a collective um, actually right up the block from me, not too far. Um, another great place that is DIY and, you know, it's not like an official venue or anything like right. that, but it's like to do like a show here and there and go see a show. It's a very small communal intimate feeling mm-hmm. yeah and then so you put out a record in november as zinth mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. with I me mean, i got the feeling that was like a, like a long like you worked on that for quite a while um i didn't work on that for that long. no <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> it was just an afternoon. <laughs> um, it was a double record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I worked on it for um, last winter. I worked on it last winter. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it was uh, it was done by March. Yeah. Yeah. So I basically set up um, a home studio. And, in Greenpoint? Um, yeah, at yeah. my apartment in Greenpoint. Um, and... Um, my boyfriend, Stephen Conover, he used to work um, as an audio engineer, so he was really instrumental in helping me set up a very functional studio. You I hadn't basically, had that before at home? No. I, um, you know, was I'm really into, you know, just pressing play on, like, you know, yeah. a wave file recorder. <laughs> record on a wave file recorder. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I just, like, moved. I have a two-bedroom apartment so i made the bigger bedroom into my studio and um and yeah it was now you've got that yeah yeah so that was um i was able to you know that was the first time that i was also not really recording live um you know i could come home and like record like a track and then add another track later and that's not the way that i normally work so it was kind of branching out into an exploring a new way yeah um i found that i got into like a lot of repetitive things which is kind of cool um and yeah um it just gives a whole different like pacing of how you approach uh recording Mm mm-hmm yeah. Totally. Totally. Did, yeah. What that pacing? Do you find it influencing the way that you play live now? Um, I still tend to. Um, yeah, I, I guess it does. I mean, you know, it's like I'm always sort of moving and exploring new areas, and like you know, playing with different people and improvising with a lot of different people who come from very different backgrounds than I come from. Yeah. Um, has really taught me a lot about, you know, giving space and like letting things just like slowly evolve. And, um, you know, like I said, it's like, I can come out of like a very dense, um, full on, um, sound. And so there's a lot of just, you know, stepping back and like letting other people, you know, set a pace and Mm -hmm. like adding to that. So, uh, being at home and recording in that way where again uh, it's not just everything all at once it's kind of bringing things in and out and mixing um that way uh is is a cool way to work totally yeah yeah and do you do you see going forward like this room be like being the the center point 
Yeah, I mean, I'm getting more comfortable with the room. I could say that initially um, I wasn't too comfortable with the room. It uh, felt like, you know, here's like a mixing board and then here's my stuff. And, you know, a lot of times I just want to like play. And that's like why the Wave file recorder is like amazing because you don't really think about it. Right. It's just really simple. It's right. just the room, the sound in the room, and it's just, you know, instead. But, I mean, at least, like, now it's set up where I can, you know, go straight into, like, a bigger mixing board and separate tracks. And, so then, and then afterwards, like, you know, mix it, um, uh-huh. which you can't do with a way of file <laughs> room sound. <laughs> but uh, Are you working on more solo stuff? Yeah, I mean, I'm always, like... I'm always playing, you know? So, I mean, actually today I was working on like the final details, not even the files anymore, but just like the details of putting out a record with um, two people that I collaborate with, Manuel Moto and Margarita Garcia. Margarita Bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I um, played with them um, and we recorded... um, last it was november 2017 so it's been a while since this you know but they're over in um they're in between belgium and portugal so um and i'm here but yeah we uh picked some stuff out and you know and putting out a record so i have a label that i you know infrequently release things on usually my own work um and sometimes other people's work it's your fact yeah you y-e-w okay um, and I've always had labels like in Double Leopards had heavy conversation. Uh-huh. Matthew and I had heavy blossom. Um, these were your own labels. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's just you know vanity projects. Um, yeah, so it's self-releasing about, is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I always enjoy doing that, and you know, but. Sometimes it could take a long time just because I have limited time and I, you know, don't dedicate myself fully to it. Sure. And I have like a lot of things going on. So it's, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not in a rush. <laughs> so that's that's the other thing that's great about having your own label. It's your, your, own, studio, your own label. It's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> your time frame. Yeah. <laughs> your time schedule. Yeah. All right. Well, I, th- I think yeah. we covered some good ground. Okay. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for coming over. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, yeah. thank you. Yeah. All right. That was Marsha Bassett. Hope that you guys enjoyed that. I certainly did. She's a good egg. I really enjoyed talking to her. And uh, check out check out her new record by Zeimpf. Rhizomatic Gaze on Drawing Room Records. Seriously good stuff. And if you dig that, go back further. She's got a lot of stuff out, and it's all worth checking out. Go to her website. Go to Zeimpf.org. And that's it. Hope you guys are all cool. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Uh, Until then, be well. All right.